Welcome to the James River Church Podcast. You're about to hear another inspirational message from Pastor John Lindell. It's our prayer that this message is an encouragement and blessing to your life. Tonight, I want to talk to you on the subject of healing and disappointment. And it might seem odd that as we're seeing so many healings that I would address something like disappointment. And you might not even think that healing and disappointment go together. But uh, ironically, you find people at times disappointed over not being healed. Either they weren't healed or somebody they loved wasn't healed. And the result is there's these feelings that people have to work through. And if they don't work through them carefully and appropriately, what happens is it causes them to live uh, with, at the very least, doubt or uncertainty regarding healing and they find themselves lacking zeal when it comes to praying for healing or even believing what they're seeing in this place as they hear the testimonies. It's an interesting story. It's recorded for us twice in the, in the Gospels in Matthew chapter 11 and in Luke chapter 7. And uh, we read this, Luke chapter 7 and verse 18, then the disciples of John reported to him concerning all these things. So what's happened is Jesus at the start of the chapter, the Roman centurion has a young servant who needs healing. Jesus says, I'll go and heal him. The centurion says, listen, uh, you don't even need to come. Uh, I'm a person under authority. And I know that when I send people, they do it. And you have authority. If you just say it, he'll be healed. And Jesus marveled at his faith and, and his servant was healed. And then after that, Jesus is walking by the village of Nain in Galilee. And as he goes by, he sees a funeral procession coming out of the town. And he walks up and he touches the funeral bier and, and, uh, where the young man is laid out as they're carrying him out of, this, out of the town. And he says to the mother, don't cry. When Jesus says, don't cry at a funeral, you know something big is going to happen. He says, young man, get up, and he gets up. So now they've seen all of these things, and the disciples of John, that's John the Baptist, he's in prison. Herod has imprisoned him because he has confronted Herod about an unbiblical marriage that he has. And John, calling two of his disciples to him, sent them to Jesus saying, are you the coming one, or do we look for another? When the man had come to him, they said, John the Baptist has sent us to you, saying, are you the coming one, or do we look for another? At that very hour, he, that's Jesus, cured infirmities, afflictions, evil spirits, and many blind, to many blind he gave sight. Jesus answered and said to them, Go and tell John the things you have seen and heard, that the blind see, the lame walk, the lepers are cleansed, the deaf hear, the dead are raised, the poor have the gospel preached to them. And blessed is he who is not offended because of me. It's a very, very interesting thing because John the, the Baptist, he would have as his background the stories from his mother Elizabeth who would tell of, of the miraculous conception that she experienced in conceiving him. An angelic announcement uh, was given to his father, Zachariah, and, and the upshot was that John was conceived. He would hear the story how Elizabeth's cousin Mary, the mother of Jesus, had miraculously conceived, and he would know about that, and he would know about how 
even in the womb, John was filled with the Spirit. He would understand these things. Then as Jesus starts his ministry in John chapter 1, we read that, that Jesus comes to be baptized, and as he is standing on, on the edge of the Jordan River, John points him out to the crowd and says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. The next day, John is standing with some of his disciples, and as he's standing there, Jesus appears again, and he says it again. He says, Behold, the Lamb of God who takes away the sin of the world. And then John says this, I would not have known who he was, except the one who sent him said to me, the one on whom you see the Spirit descend and remain, he is the one. So John has had God himself speak to him about the identity of Jesus. John is so sure of it. He's so committed to that, that later as Jesus' popularity grows and now people are no longer coming in the great numbers to John to be baptized, they're going and being baptized by Jesus and his disciples. John's disciples are worked up about it and John said, listen, he must increase, I must decrease. I have the joy of, of the friend of the bridegroom watching all of this happen. And so John understands again who Jesus is, but now John is in prison. And what's happened to John is something that can happen to people in the midst of a move of God. I mean, imagine this. Here's John, and he's seeing the very Son of God himself healing and doing miracles and and he, he has seen the Spirit of God come down on him. But now all of a sudden, John is in prison, and things aren't going like John thought. John got his eyes on what Jesus wasn't doing. John had prepared the way for the one who would release the prisoners and set the captive free, and yet here he was in prison, and God wasn't doing anything about it. So now John is asking this question, Jesus, are you for real? Are you who you say you are? Are you who the scriptures say you are? And what does Jesus do? Jesus, in that moment, turns and performs a flurry of miracles. Many people who are, who are blind and many people who are, who are lame and, and deaf, he heals them and he says to John's disciples, go tell John what you've seen. In other words, John, get your eyes off what I'm not doing and get your eyes on what I am doing. See, it'd be very easy in a season like this to begin to become self-centered. I'm not saying this to in any way come down on somebody or be condescending. Not judging you, I'm just simply stating how this works. That it's easy for us to be consumed with the things either we, that we need or people we love need. And we get so caught up in how it's going in that quadrant of our life or the people that we love in their life that that's all we can think about. And God's doing miracles all around, but he's not doing miracles for us. And all of a sudden, 
our, our walk with him and our faith in him is interrupted because we don't understand if you're doing miracles for other people, why aren't you doing a miracle for me? And Jesus adds these words, blessed is he who is not offended because of me. Happy many times over. Or congratulations would be the way Eugene Peterson would have put it in the message. Congratulations to the one who's not offended because of me. You see, it's easy when God doesn't do what we would like him to do or what we thought he should do to, if we're not careful, allow offense to come into our heart. Dwelling on what God is not doing opens a person up to a spirit of offense which questions God and ultimately leads to unbelief. If you look closely at the lives of many well-known atheists, you'll find that many of them believed for a miracle for a family member who was dying but did not get it. And so to cope with the experience, they migrated to a belief system that denied a personal and a powerful God. Let me just say this to you as we move into what I believe is a greater season of healing in the church. I'm not preaching this message because I think less is happening. I'm preaching it because more is going to happen, but all of us have to mature in our thinking and understand some things relative to our own experience of healing and our praying for others. And there are some realities about healing that we simply have to be aware of. And if we're not, they'll catch us by surprise and the enemy will use them to discourage us and to knock us out of the race or of seeing God use us. Disappointment is inevitable for anyone who is pursuing a lifestyle of the miraculous. If you want signs and wonders to follow your life, if you want to pray for the sick and see them healed, you're going to have to be ready to deal with the times it doesn't happen and not let that knock you off course from believing it's going to happen. It seems almost like, like it's a contradictory, like it's a paradox. And I think this is especially true for people who don't have a fully formed faith, people who are new in the faith, people who aren't walking close to Christ. And often in the midst of disappointment, what people do when God doesn't come through in the way they felt that he should, they create theological constructs that are false. They come up with a theology or a belief system to explain their experience that is not rooted and grounded in the word of God and leaves them with less than God would desire. And even worse, leaves them in a state of doubt or a state that is less than enthusiastic relative to God healing people and the power of prayer and God answering prayer. Let me just give you some examples. Uh, I've seen people do it, for example, when a child dies. And, and let me just say, that is one of the, the worst scenarios a person could encounter, to lose a child. But people will say, and I've heard this more times than I can count as a pastor, well, God took this child home because he needed another angel in heaven. 
While that statement might provide temporary comfort to a grieving family, it's a falsehood on several fronts. Now, let me say this. If you're in a situation where you hear somebody say that, in the middle of their grief is not the time for you to give a theological lesson. They need you to pray for them and to love them and to care for them. And it's not the time to straighten people's theology out when they're hurting. Okay? So I don't, I don't say, hey, wait a minute, that's wrong. Don't say that. I just pray for them and care for them and love them. But the problem with that is, I mean, there's many things, but let me give you a couple. God does not turn the dead into angels. He's already created the angels were there before we were. So he's got all the angels he needs and more. Okay. So nobody becomes an angel when they die. Little children do not become an angel. That angels are already created. They're created separate beings. They are not capable of salvation. That's why there are demonic beings who have rebelled against God. Second, he, he did not cause the death of that child. God did not. The real problem with that falsehood, it brings temporary peace to parents, but it undermines their ability to have their hearts healed and then seek the justice of the Lord to be vindicated in their loss. You say, what do you mean? It keeps them from seeking an anointing on their life that would give them the power and the ability to redeem situations like theirs so that other parents don't experience what they're experiencing. For example, I, we have uh, one of our, our staff couples, our, our campus pastor over at the West, Chris and Becky Davis. They lost a, a child, a son, Elijah, when he was 15 months. And in talking to them, Early on, as we were coming into this season of healing, this is an issue that has to be resolved. And talking to them, I, I suggested to them, and, and they've been beautifully faithful and faith-filled, that the thing to do is to drive a stake in the ground at that loss and say, God, I'm asking you to anoint me so that in the place of my loss, I, I encourage them to ask for seven victories where there'd be dramatic healings of infants who would be healed in Jesus' name because God had brought them to a place of wholeness where they could exercise the faith to believe that, to redeem that loss that they had experienced. You know, listen, God may use tragedy, but that does not mean God causes tragedy. There are others who deal with disappointment by adopting the belief that everything that happens is God's will. But we know that's not true. God's will is not always done. You know, people will say, well, it just must have been God's will. Not necessarily. Well, it happened. It had to be God's will. No, that's not true either. In 2 Peter chapter 3, verse 9, the Lord is not slack concerning his promises. Some count slackness, but is long-suffering toward us, not willing that any should perish. God doesn't want anybody to perish. That's his will. His will is that everybody would get saved. Does everybody get saved? What's the answer? No. God's will is not always done. And then others will develop a theology of why God does not heal. And so they'll say, well, you know what? 
the reason why not everybody's healed and, and it's because we live in the Western world and we got doctors and we got medicine and so we're not in a superstitious culture so healing doesn't happen for us like it might happen in uh, Africa or in Asia or in other places. And they develop this kind of theology which is not in the Bible. And what it does is it leaves followers of Christ without any kind of enthusiasm for seeing the power of God exhibited and exercised through their day-to-day -day life. As we encounter the complexities and the difficulties and the impossibilities of people's lives, and we, we bring heaven's power to bear on that, we should expect that there would be su supernatural things that would happen. Let me just say this, learning to live with the unexplainable is one of the most necessary ingredients of the Christian life, especially for those who are pursuing a life of signs and wonders. Listen, there are some things you're not going to be able to understand. There are some things that we, we will not understand this side of heaven. And when people create a rationale for what has happened, oftentimes they come up with either faulty theology or less than what the Bible would want them to have. Here's, here's the thing. When it comes to the miraculous, and listen, we're going to see more miracles than ever. Who I'm talking to tonight are people who have held back because somewhere along the line you were burned. Or you felt like you were burned. You believed and it didn't happen. And you don't understand it. But it's dampened your enthusiasm for what God wants to do through you. And the devil loves itself. And God wants to do a work in your life that is not only redemptive, but is healing to bring you to a place of wholeness where you with a full-throated faith can believe God to do the impossible in the lives of other people. And I'm simply suggesting to you that if, you're, if you wait to develop the faith or have faith to pray for people, oftentimes that happens when people, when it, when people closest to us need a miracle, you're going to find it very hard to muster the faith to pray for them effectively. Let me just tell you something. I don't understand this. I haven't figured this out. I only know it to be true. In most instances, the hardest people to have faith for are the people you love the most. I know when Debbie had a double mastectomy, she was diagnosed with cancer. One of the surprises to me, this is back in 2014, was how hard it was. I prayed for her, but how hard it was for me to believe for her healing. In that moment, I needed other people to help me believe where I was weak. I'm just saying that is, and if you wait until somebody close to you needs a miracle to decide you're in on this healing thing, you're going to find it very, very hard to come out on top in the end on that. That's why the most important thing you and I could do as we're learning to grow in the ministry of healing is pray for as many people as we can. Because the more people we pray for, the more people are going to be healed, right? 
And God wants to use you to heal people. This is what I love about what's happening here. There's not one person we can point to and say, oh, it all happens when they do it. God wants to use every single person in this church in the places where you go to lay hands on the sick, to pray for them, and to see them healed in Jesus' name. And I believe we're going to, we're going to see that. But there are some things that are unexplainable when it comes to the supernatural that we will not understand this side of heaven. It just is how it is, and we have to surrender our right to understand if we're going to walk by faith. This is why we need faith, because by faith, I leave with God the things I don't understand, knowing that when I see him, I will fully know even as I am known. That's what Paul says. When he shall appear, we'll fully know even as, as we're fully known. And it's why I need hope. Because hope says that there's going to come a day I'm going to understand. And I can promise you this, that one second in heaven, you're going to see what God did and why he did it. And you're going to join with the angels and you're going to say, you do all things well. Worthy is your name. But until that time, there are some things you won't understand. I mean, Philippians chapter 4 and verse 6 says, Be anxious for nothing, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding. In other words, it's better than understanding. It goes beyond understanding. Better than understanding or thinking you understand what's happening to you is the peace of God even when you don't understand what's happening to you. And if you have to understand everything, you'll forfeit the peace of God and you'll live with anxiety, you'll live with fear, and you'll live with doubt. Better to say, God, I don't understand some things, but I trust you with the things I don't understand. There are going to be some people you pray for and they're not healed and you can go to God. We can go to God, and I believe oftentimes God does tell us what's lacking. But there's other times we don't know. And we have to leave that with the Lord. Listen, if everything worked out perfectly the first time in our life, we wouldn't need verses like Romans 8, 28, where it says this, and we know that all things work together for the good of those who love him and are called according to his purpose. That God is at work even when we don't understand it. But in order to enter the promised land and to see God do what he wants to do in our life, we have to conquer some giants. Remember that? They had to conquer some giants to get into the promised land. And one of the biggest giants is the giant of disappointment. Because everyone who pursues a lifestyle of Signs and wonders is going to face disappointment, not once you're going to face it over and over again. And you're going to have to have a, a well enough developed theology and understanding to say, what I don't understand, I, I leave with the Lord and I, I ask for his peace upon my heart and I ask him to give me the courage, the faith, the boldness to do what his word says he's called me to do. And I'm going to keep on doing that. And the more you do that, the more effective you'll become in doing it. 
But if you stop, you're done. You say, well, I don't understand. It didn't work out. I'm not doing that again. Then you won't see God do as much. I mean, listen, when we're talking about healing, this is a high expectation deal. And you will find yourself at times in a situation you don't understand where you come out of it disappointed. And what you do in that moment and how you process that moment is absolutely critical. I remember a situation, this would have been over 20 years ago, so we were in the other building, and there was a family whose son had cancer. And so they had asked me on a Sunday afternoon, they'd come up to me at the, after the service and asked if I'd visit him in the hospital, and so I went up there and met the family, met him, and um, prayed for him, talked with him a lot, and Debbie and I would visit them and check on them, and, and we became good friends with them. But he was in a very bad way. His cancer he had cancer in his throat, in his uh, thoracic area. Cancer was really everywhere. And the doctors didn't give him much hope, but we were praying and believing God would heal him, and Debbie and I had fasted, and then one night in the middle of the night, we got a call. It was them. They were at the hospital. They asked me to if I could come, and so I went down there, and I think it was like 2 o'clock in the morning, and it's at Mercy Hospital, and so I go in there, and the room has the family there, and, and um, he's passed away. And as soon as I walk in, they, um, they thank me for coming, and this. they said, we'll step out and leave you here. And I knew what they were expecting. They were expecting that I would raise him from the dead which I don't think is unfair on their part. So I don't, I didn't think that was unfair then. I don't think it is now other than immediately in that moment. I mean, any ounce of faith I had went somewhere through the floor down to the basement of that building. <clears throat> but I was like, you know, Lord, I'm going to pray. I'm going to believe. So I knelt by his bedside, prayed, uh, commanded him to get up and nothing happened. It took me a long time to get over that. I hadn't thought through enough some of these things. And I really didn't, hadn't created any kind of understanding of what you do with your heart when it's crushed with that kind of disappointment. I wasn't angry at God, I just didn't understand. But I can tell you this, my enthusiasm for healing was considerably diminished. And that's where some of you are. You're in a place where you're saying, you know what? I thought God would come through and he didn't. And now when this whole healing thing started and God started working, you're watching it and, and your first shot is, huh? And then you're hearing the stories and you're like, I wonder if it's true and I wonder if it's real. But then the sheer volume of it or even the knowledge of people that you know that have been healed and you knew and you're like, wow, it's real. I knew them and I knew how bad they were and they were healed. And so you're working through it, but still truth be told, there's, there's a disappointment that, is res that resides in your heart that 
keeps you from having the joyful enthusiasm of praying for people with faith and believing God's going to heal them. Let me just say this. We were made for answered prayer. Jesus said, ask and you'll receive. Why? That your joy will be full. What gives a Christian joy is when we pray and see God answer. But if you don't believe he's going to answer or you question if he will, or you view it like some kind of slot machine, like maybe he won't. If I put enough quarters in there, maybe it'll happen, but probably it won't. But if it does, I've hit the jackpot. If you view it in any of those kind of ways, then what happens is there's an absence of joy in your heart and the joy of the Lord is your strength. And God doesn't want you to live there, but the enemy's happy if you do. Proverbs 13, 12. I, I realize I'm taking a little bit of time with this, but I think this is a critical issue to move forward because I'm going to tell you this. I believe this. I believe we are getting ready for a downpour. I believe that. I've said it before, so it's not new. And I have to keep doing a gut check and, and really get before the Lord and say, God, I, the last thing I want to do, I can't make anything happen, number one. And I don't want to mislead anyone, number two. But God, what is happening here and how do I process it and what are you doing? And you can tell. I mean, you can tell the Lord is, is at work. Proverbs 13.2 says, hope deferred makes the heart sick. But a desire fulfilled is a tree of life. One of the most spiritually vulnerable times in a person's life is when disappointment comes in. If you're disappointed with God, the danger in that is it's like, it's like a person whose immune system isn't strong and you're, accept, you're susceptible in that moment to the attack of the enemy and to his questions like, did God really say, which is as old as Genesis 3? Or if God is so powerful and he is so good, if he's good, then how come he didn't do something here? Because good would have done something. And if he's so powerful, then why didn't he do something there? Because if he's got power, then, then this shouldn't be a problem. And it's normal for us to ask questions and questions will arise, but we have to be careful the answers we come up with and how we process them, or we'll end up with a sick heart that no longer believes in the goodness of God and his desire to heal and will become that sick person. And there are some today, and you have doubts about healing that come from a heart that really needs tonight God's redemptive and healing power to, to work in you. And it doesn't mean you're a bad person. I wish somebody would have explained this to me 20-some years ago. It would have really helped me. It would have accelerated my recovery. So I don't want anybody to feel like you're lesser or you're a problem or what you're going through is, is going to hurt anybody or hurt the church. I, I just feel for you because God wants to touch you and he wants you to be at a place where you're as excited as anybody else about what he's doing and you're as full of faith as anybody else. And, the, and I believe in many cases, God wants to use people who have sat back in ways they can't begin to imagine. So let me just quickly give you some steps 
for dealing with disappointment. Number one, be honest with God. The healing of your heart is not something that's going to be resolved, all things being equal, in five minutes. So this is something that's going to launch you into a process that's going to bring you to wholeness. But I think there are several things that need to happen. And the first one is to be honest with God. Get alone with God and tell him how you feel. But let me caution you on that. Don't accuse God in the name of honesty. That's never good to do. Because when you accuse God, what you're doing is you're letting something into your heart that, that can lead to unbelief. So what you might do is you might pray a prayer like this, Father, I know you are God and that you never lie or abandon your children, but it sure feels like you did in this situation. It looks like you didn't keep your promise to me. And I know my perception is wrong because you are always good and I need you to help me. Please heal my heart and deliver me from this disappointment. Pray that prayer. Just make it your own, but just say, God, listen, I feel let down and I know, I know you're good and I know you do good, but, but I don't feel that way right now. And I need you to remove the disappointment that's in my heart relative to what happened. Number two, listen to God. Read the Psalms, start in the Psalms, and read the Psalms until you come to a Psalm that sounds like what you're thinking. Because I promise you, there's 150 Psalms, you will come to that Psalm. You say, well, what if it's at the end? Then start at the end and read backwards. I mean, if that's what you're thinking, I'm teasing you. You'll get there quicker than you think. But when you get to that, then what I would suggest that you do when you find the psalm that is what you're thinking, then begin to meditate on it and pray it to God. And just live in it and let it become real to you because there's healing that comes as we meditate on God's word. Number three, receive his peace. Give up your right, surrender. And I would, I would advocate surrendering it. God, I give up my right to understand. My understanding is not as important as your peace. And Lord, I don't want to forfeit your peace anymore relative to this situation in my life. I want your peace. Listen, let me just tell you this. Healing doesn't start in your mind with you understanding Healing starts in your heart. And there are some things, frankly, we will never understand this side of heaven. For example, Job, he, he goes through this horrible trial and, and through the book of Job, he's saying, if only I could talk to God, if only I could get God to explain himself, I don't understand, but I feel at the very least, he owes me an explanation. And the Lord appears to him, remember? And the Lord says, who's this who darkens my counsel with his shadow. Let me ask you some questions and see how you answer. And then he goes through and he says, where were you when the earth was formed? 
Tell me, can you explain to me the hydrological cycles? Can you tell me how the snow and the hail and the lightning? Can you tell me about the animal kingdom and about these different animals and how they function? Do you see the doe when she gives birth to her young? Do you understand? He goes through and he names all these things. And he says, tell me because you're so wise. What he's saying is, Job, you can't even understand the natural world and its mysteries. How will you ever understand the supernatural world? And it dawns on Job the greatness of God and how far above us he is. His thoughts are not our thoughts and his ways are not our ways. They are so high above ours that they're as high as the heavens are above the earth. And what does Job do? He says, I've heard of you, but now I've seen you and I repent in sackcloth and ashes. He humbles himself. He says, God, you have the answers and I understand now. I can't, even if you gave them to me, I couldn't understand them. And he comes to a place of peace. Number four, focus on what God is doing rather than what he has not done. Listen, I'm telling you, this is huge. Rather than go out of, out of the service talking about, well, they didn't have a word of knowledge for my sickness, you need to say, can you believe that? I mean, the words that came out tonight, can you believe what God's doing? Can you believe that testimony? I mean, the lady has 89% more alpha-gal than the average person, and she's totally healed. She's eating brisket. Yeah, I mean, wow. And, and she has a fast exemption to do that. I mean, come on. She's healed. <laughs> talk about the goodness of the Lord. Talk about what he's done. You know what happens? As you talk about the goodness of the Lord, you begin to see his goodness more readily in your life. What you talk about, you see. What you talk about gets done. You talk about him as a healer. You talk about him as powerful. You talk about his authority over sickness. Pretty soon you start seeing it everywhere in your life. Don't talk about what he hasn't done. That's what the enemy wants you to talk about. Oh, he didn't do this. He didn't do that. But think about what he did do. Number five, be thankful. Offer the sacrifice of praise and thanksgiving for what God has done and what you've seen him do. There's something about thanksgiving that transforms our heart and causes us to, to see God differently. It's, it's probably one of the best antidotes for disappointment. Oh God, I thank you. I thank you for what you're doing. I thank you that you're moving. You came tonight. You wanted to be healed. Listen, if you haven't been healed, don't say, I didn't get healed. Say, I haven't been healed yet, but God, I thank you. I saw you move tonight. I felt your presence tonight. God, I thank you. You're in that place. And Lord, I thank you that you're, you're healing me now. And Lord, I can't wait to give my testimony. Number six, hunger for more. Don't stop believing for big things. And if you're seeing God do big things, don't fall into the trap of thinking you're an expert. There are no experts in this room when it comes to healing. I'm just telling you, there are, starting with me, nobody's got this thing figured out. There's a mystery to it that we rest in. We say, I don't understand everything, but I know this. We're seeing, we're seeing 100 times more people healed now than we've seen in 30 years. We're seeing God do, and it's only increasing. I can, I can tell you that. So believe God for more. I'm telling you, the biggest miracles have not happened yet. I was talking to Randy Clark. Some of you will know who he is when I say that name, but um, I was talking, I spent a couple hours on the phone with him 
this week, and it was such a joy to talk with him, but to talk through what we're seeing and to ask him questions and to have him say, you know what, you're, you're seeing some of the giants when it comes to healing fall. You're seeing some things that are very unusual, especially for a place that's on the front end of what God is doing. And we just talked and then we prayed and he, you know, we just talked about more and what that looks like and how that works. And, and, um, he was such an encouragement and an encourager to, to just, to just be able to know there's more and we are going to see more. I mean, I'm so excited. I can't wait. I got off the phone. I was like, that is so exciting. I just had to go pray. Just had to go thank the Lord for what he's doing. Number seven, read books about moves of God and the people who were used by God. Read books about people who had a healing ministry. Read books about, and don't focus, you know, there's some that got off track and had, had some problems, but, you know, anybody can find the cow patty in the pasture of life. That doesn't take any, any kind of talent. Look for the flowers, look for the good things, right? I'm sorry, I shouldn't really, okay. That was not my notes, but think on the good things, right? Okay, I've, take, I've taken a long time, but I really feel this is important because I feel God is going to deliver some people today. And what it's going to take, it's going to take honesty, but more than that, it takes boldness. And it takes a desire to say, listen, I want to be free of this. I'm not, I'm not going to live here anymore. I want to have a bold faith and a bright faith and a, I don't want to have any disillusionment or disappointment in my heart anymore because it's kind of hung in the back there and I want to get rid of it. God brought you here because God wants you to, he wants to heal you. He wants to use you. And the enemy, what, what, what Satan intended for evil the disappointment and all the circumstance that didn't go like you thought. God is going to bring glory and good out of that. And he's going to change your life. 